You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, and today we're talking to Chris Von Hune, an account executive at Xerox, about illuminating questions, content libraries, storytelling, and much more. It's rare these days that I hop on a sales call and and I'm super impressed with the salesperson. So the person that is selling to me and I'm not exaggerating, literally it's one out of every probably 50 salespeople that I talk to that impress me. And I'm not saying like, Oh, I'm this super important person that needs to be impressed. And it's not even like really big things that impress me actually. So it has nothing usually to do with that person's level of knowledge or insight into what they're doing. It has more to do with, does this person prioritize me over what they're trying to accomplish? Do they take the time to learn about my goals? Do they take the time to learn about how I would use their product to accomplish those goals? And do they focus their freaking demos on the areas that I need to see in order to make a decision, not the things that they need to show me to check off the boxes? That part to me is actually pretty simple. It requires a lot of effort and refrain. But that part is very, very simple. And what I'm excited about with our guest today, Chris Von Hune, is that's the very first thing that stuck out to me about him when I was doing research was that his approach is not about making him, the salesperson, important. He actually believes that he's not important as a salesperson and that the prospect is everything. So he prioritizes the prospect and he tells them that on his LinkedIn profile. He tells them that in his sales calls when he's prospecting that it's going to be a different experience with him. And I'm really excited to dig into it. But before we do that, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, my name is Jason Bay. I'm the host of Blissful Prospecting. And my goal in this show is to help you think outside the script in your prospecting and help share proven cold email, cold call, LinkedIn strategies, and other things that are going to help you land more meetings with your ideal clients. So with Chris today, what we're going to dig into is a few things that I'm super excited about. One, if you've ever wanted to know about storytelling and how storytelling applies to a cold call or a cold email. He's got a really cool play that he talks about in terms of how to use stories to connect with your prospects. He also brings up this concept called illuminating questions, and it's really how to ask your prospect a question that they don't know the answer to, but is something that they should care about. So what that does is it really demonstrates an understanding of like what's going on in their world and gets them to stop and think. And these are really, really important when cold calling. And then he's also going to share a tactic that he uses called building a content library where he keeps words and phrases and things like that as he learns more about his prospects that he can then literally copy and paste and use in his emails or in his cold calls or any other type of prospecting outreach that he's doing. Uh, Before we get into the interview though, one quick thing, uh, we're hosting a summer virtual tour called Think Outside the Script. You can find that at tour.blissfulprospecting.com or just go to our website and I'm super excited because I'm going to be interviewing like 40 sales experts and also quota carrying reps. And 100% of the content is going to be focused on prospecting. And it's also spread out through the entire summer. So it's two to three live webinars per week, not like 20 jammed down your throat all at once, making it hard to keep up with the content. Uh, we're going to spread it out over the entire summer. And we're going to talk about things like cold calling, cold emailing, uh, social selling, mindset, psychology, anything that will help you land more meetings with your ideal clients. So make sure to check that out, tour.blissfulprospecting.com. And without further ado, let's get to the interview with Chris. 
so I found out just through, I think it was Scott Ingram's. Yeah, Scott Ingram's stuff. I saw that you were also in the sales stars or LinkedIn sales stars, whatever book he was. And I'd seen your stuff on LinkedIn, of course. But I was like, I got to get Chris on the podcast. And then I realized, I was like, this name, I've seen you like for six, probably the last six or nine months on LinkedIn. I'm like, I recognize this name. And what I found out is that we were introduced through a mutual friend and uh, through email. We never ended up connecting, but it's, it's uh, nice to actually get to connect and talk to you, man. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's, it's such a small world. So it's like, it, it's a pleasure. I've been seeing your stuff pop up and yeah, like I remember our mutual friends, like you got to connect with them. I know we did. And then like things just fell off. So apologies on, on that piece. But I mean, now we're, now we're back together and, and doing a podcast. So, I mean, it all works out. No. Yeah. It's all good, man. I think that was like two years ago or something like that. It was, it's, it's a while. Time, yeah. time has flown by. Um, oh, it hasn't. But uh, I want to dig into you know, when I was doing some research on you, the first thing that stuck out to me, because I always like to look at people's sales journeys. And it looks like you started out in sort of finance and stuff like that. But can you, t- can you tell us just how did you get into sales? Yeah, it's, it's funny enough. So when I first started, I wanted to be like an investment banker and living in San Diego, it's a horrible idea. Um, people think that you surf all day and that you're not serious, <laughs> which I've never served in my life. So the irony when I get asked that by like people from New York, you know, some of the big firms, um, was this funny conversation. And so the closest thing I could get was like financial planning and analysis. And I was just, you know, headstrong on being an investment banker. So I did um, financial planning and analysis for a couple of years. And ironically at every job, like I was always a very social person. So I'd walk, you know, my building, I get to know everybody. I'm having all these hallway chats. I remember uh, one of my managers, or actually director of um, FPNA, he's like, Chris, he's like, how the hell do you know so many people in three months? Like in the three years I've been here, I don't know as many people as you do in three months. I'm like, man, like I'm just good at talking and building relationships. That's like, that's my jam. That's what I'm good at. And he's just like shocked. He's like, how do you do that and do your work? I'm like, there's just ways to do it, man. It's time management. Um, but what happened kind of like the turning point was I asked myself, can I see myself doing finance for 40 years, you know, kind of run through like a career, you know, mindset, like 40 years. So I want to keep doing finance. And the answer was just no, a resounding no. So for me, it's like, okay, well, what do I like? I'm like, well, what I love is learning about businesses. I love psychology. I love like competitive environments. I did sports for 13 years and everyone always thought I was in sales. So I was like, well, why not go like relocate to San Francisco and jump into tech sales and let's just see what happens. And I did that and failed galore for a while. And I was like, I'm not giving up. Like, I love this. And here I am two and a half years later, I'm still in it. (laughs) No, I love it, dude. My impression of you in seeing your content and your videos, because you post a ton of videos is that you're a pretty extroverted social person. Is that, is that correct? Is that, how would you describe yourself? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm definitely extroverted. Okay. <laughs> There's like no yeah. way about it. I mean, like you have we to have the, make that we have the opposite. We have the opposite energy in that regard. I'm a pretty introverted person, but I could turn it on, yeah. you know, when we're selling or recording a podcast or whatever. But uh, yeah. Um, okay, cool. So my assumption was correct there, and it sounds like with sales, it was sort of a natural next thing to get into. But did you talk to anyone about it? Did anyone say, "Hey, like Chris, like sales, dude, you want to be a sleazy salesperson?" Like. <laughs> So like the funny thing is in all my finance positions before like people got to know me in the company, they always thought I was on the sales team. 
Like I had to convince people that That's I was hilarious. in finance. Like, no, dude, you can't be in finance. Like your personality and like just the way you are, like, no way. I'm like, do you want me to send you your budget? Like, dude, I'm looking at your cost every single month and talking to your VP. Like ask your VP who does your numbers. That'd be this guy. So <laughs> it was just kind of like subliminal messages throughout like my entire finance career. And they, everyone was like, dude, like it, it was two things. Like it'd be a lawyer or go into sales. Cause like, I love debating with people and I usually win a lot. Just saying, I'll be slightly cocky on that one. Um, and so they're like, it would either be a lawyer or go do sales. I'm like, I don't want to go get a JD. Like that's too much work. <laughs> like, let me just go jump into sales where and see what happens. So yeah, it's, everyone was for it. People were telling me like to do that for years. I just wasn't listening to them. Yeah. It's really interesting when um, one exercise that's really cool. I don't know if you've ever done it before. Um, and so this was recommended to me by a guy named Rajiv Nathan. He was on the podcast before too, but he recommended this exercise where you get in touch with like a couple dozen of the people you've had the closest relationships with could be family, friends, but also business people. You send them like a two or three question survey. But one of those things that you ask them is like, Hey, what, what about me? Do you think that I do really well, you know, compared to other people? Um, yep. what are other careers that you could see like all this other stuff and, you get this perspective that you just don't get because we're inherently biased, right? With, from our own perspective. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting to do an exercise like that, but it sounds like you just had people like, it sounds like it was pretty easy actually to see that this was like the next thing that you should be doing. Yeah. Like I, I kind of got that by default because yeah. people were always telling me they're like, I don't know why you're in finance. And I'm like, I don't know why either. <laughs> I got to have a good, yeah. I don't have a good answer for you. So I actually, I do something similar to that every year as an annual reflection. I have like a questionnaire that I send out to people that know me really well. And it's just some of those things like what blind spots did, you know, do you see what things, you know, concerns you, what things that I do well. So I kind of always do that pulse check a lot just to make sure I'm staying leveled. And to your point, I have blind spots. Like I'm biased to myself. So that's why I just ask people that know me really well to give me just a brutally honest review on things so I can make sure I'm kind of not missing anything major here and, and going down the wrong path. I love that, man. And that's a really good segue into you know sales and prospecting, especially because the foundation of your approach from what it looks like and sounds like is empathy. And I know people are throwing around this empathy word a lot right now. And it's more than, hey, I hope you're doing well, right? obviously, right? Let's move past that bullshit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but like real empathy, you're not really able to do that unless you can think about how others perceive you. And what's even more powerful uh, to do than that is to actually ask them, <laughs> right? And to get an honest answer of what people see and think about you when they interact with you. So I love that, man. Um, let's dig into, God, there's a lot of different areas that we can take this conversation, but there's one thing that really sticks out to me if we just start first with your LinkedIn approach, your yeah. about me page is the most unique about me page that I've seen in that. <laughs> yeah. What I love is that the first couple lines are talking about you, the prospect, like you're using that language. Like my goal is to help you do this, like participate in this journey with you, et cetera. And then you go on to mention some of the things that like about you, but Let's start there. What what was the thinking behind the about me page, and like what kind of response do you typically get from that? Do prospects ever comment on it, like that kind of stuff? Yeah. So for me, like my approach to sales is 
you're not important salesperson. Like I'm irrelevant. The prospect is everything. So if we think of it from a hero's journey, the prospect is the hero and I'm the guide. My goal is to support them, challenge them, hold their hand when needed, walk beside them. And eventually they're going to achieve success and no longer need me. Right. Hence end of sale. So when I write, when I wrote my about section, I wanted everyone to know from the get go, it is going to be a fundamentally different experience with me. I'm going to make it about you. And that's why I say like hearing your problems, hearing your challenges and making sure that we're on this journey together, hence the guide piece. But my goal is a support role. I think salespeople screw this up and they say, my job is to help you. Well, who helps? The hero helps. And the prospect wants to be the hero of their story. So you're literally taking that away from them when you're like, I can help you because that's what the hero does. The guide supports, the guide gives the wisdom, the guide challenges. So I wanted to make that extremely clear from the get-go and let them know that there is a process here. It's not just me shooting from the hip. Like I have fundamentally thought about how to structure a sales process with them to get everything that we need together and essentially just listen and use all their words. It's all I do. I reflect. I do a ton of labeling and reflecting. That's like Chris Voss techniques and they're so powerful. Labeling and, and reflecting. My other section. Yeah, dude, huge. Well, we'll dive into it in a second. Yeah. And then the other piece is people do business with those that they know and trust. So by me sharing my life's purpose, you know exactly what I stand for. You know if that aligns with you. And so I don't need to waste a bunch of time trying to figure out if, if we're aligned. Because sometimes the way I sell doesn't align with the way a prospect works. That's important. That means we probably can't do the sale then because we're just not aligned there. So there's not going to be enough trust. There's not going to be enough transparency and open communication to build the foundation to warrant you going on that journey with me. And so we should know that early on and part ways. And I just recommend someone else for you. Have you seen uh, are you into Batman or like know the story behind yeah. Batman? Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the hero's journey and it's funny because this is one of the first things I typically talk to reps that we work with <laughs> about because they're trying to be Batman in the story. Yeah. And yep. they're not trying to, you know, if you know the story with Batman, you know, he's trying to fight crime. His parents, you know, his parents end up dying first. That makes him want to fight crime. And then he ends up getting thrown in jail. And then Liam Neeson, I forget his character, but the League of Shadows, like he is the supporter, like the assistant sort of person. And the question I had for you in the hero's journey is in terms of like where you start in the hero's journey, it always starts with the problem that the hero is having, it doesn't right. skip straight to Batman kicking ass, right? Like imagine if the movie started with that and there was no context into that. Do you take that right. into consideration also where I need to like really talk about who the person is that we tend to support and like what kind of problems they have? Do you talk about those kind of things at all? Is that a part of the prospecting approach? That's like the pre-research. So that goes down to building out your ideal customer profile and knowing who you're selling to first before you start reaching out. So for example, I know that uh, lawyers are a great group of people to sell to because of the challenges that they face. Like I know that for a fact, you need to go do redactions. You need to go do translations. You have a lot of security. You need to store your documents. You're printing out a ton of documents. So I know there's a ton of pain and challenges you're currently going through. So I've kind of already pre-qualified the people before I even start engaging with them. And then from there, I'm about current state, future state, and gap. 
because that's the sale. So you need to understand where they currently are. You need to understand what challenges, struggles, and pains that they're having, what KPIs they're responsible for, and where they want to go. And then what does that outcome look like from a KPI and emotional standpoint? So you need to always understand emotion and the numbers. Emotions first because it's how we make decisions. Numbers back up the emotions. So that's how the human brain makes decisions. I dive into the emotional how does it feel kind of piece, and then we quantify that feeling. So, for example, it takes you 10 hours to, uh, to redact documents for your customers, for your clients, as if you're law, as a law firm. So how does that feel? Well, it sucks. We're wasting 10 hours a week. And it's like, okay, so what's the impact of that? Well, the impact of that is I can't have these people doing the extra resource, you know, research and billing out more clients. Okay, well, how much money are you losing out? Well, we're losing out on $20,000 a month in revenue from this. And if we take the hourly rate and multiply it, let's say it's costing us $10,000. So I'm like, we have a $30,000 problem. Did I hear you right? Yeah. Okay. Current state, future state, where would you like to go? We'd like to get some of that 30,000 back. Okay. Like, so it's like you work through all that and then you know you have something. Because to me, you always want to disqualify early and often. And I think mm -hmm. people don't disqualify enough. They try to force it through and it just ends up being a bad sales experience and you have buyer's remorse and you just torched your reputation while you're at it. Yeah. Dude, so much detail here. There's like, we could take this conversation in like a hundred different ways right now. I, yeah. I do want to, this current future state stuff. Um, I love the you know, gap selling. I, I love that concept, right? Thinking about that. So when you're prospecting and it might be good to just kind of share what kind of businesses you're prospecting to, because my understanding is it's, it's probably mid market or enterprise, right? These are probably pretty big accounts. Um, would you say impact? So you're figuring out like what that means to the prospect, right? But how yeah. does this come out when you're prospecting? So is this like I send a cold email and I sort of talk about this gap? Uh, do I share this in a cold? Like, what does this stuff sound like when you're when you're prospecting? And give us a little bit of context into like the type of companies that you're prospecting into. Yeah. So for me, like I can sell to every single company, anyone that prints or has documents, which is every company, even digital, because we have a whole digital solutions too. So mm -hmm. I look at industries that print the most. That's like legal, um, accounting, financial services, um, things like that, hospitals. Does anyone who has a boatload of documents and paper um, are the ideal clients? But biopharmaceutical, food distribution, I mean, you name it. You, you'd be amazed at how much paper companies generate. Um, so for me, like, what it looks like is you talk about a challenge that they probably have. And it's just sharing stories. So my prospecting style is just storytelling. And whether you want to say like, whatever, like for lawyers, like normally like lawyers have A, B, and C challenges, anything like that sound like your daily life. It's like, you can, and then you can like share a story of how a customer went through the journey with you and the result they got. So it's like A, B, and C law firm was whatever, wasting 10,000 hours a year on doing X, Y, Z process. They weren't aware that there's a better way to do it. Now they're able to increase billable hours by 30% with XYZ solution or whatever. Um, is that something you'd be interested in learning more about? Is that so like your I, email I, structure essentially? It can be. I mean, like I swapped up like the email structure. The other one I just sent out recently was just like coming back to work and the new work environment and how are you thinking through this runaway cost? 
and just basically brought up an illuminating thing like hey for your printers are you gonna have everyone go back to the same printer and like everyone touch that thing because then you got to clean it a lot so if you're thinking about desktop printers how are you thinking about controlling that cost though so sometimes it's illuminating questions on things they may not even be thinking about but i'm educating them so whether i want to educate them to a problem they're unaware of or hit on a problem that I'm pretty sure that they have, I just do that via more storytelling. Um, whether it's like past customer examples or just like this is probable challenges that you're going through and letting them know that there's a possibility to, to make things better. And usually just interested in learning more or whatever kind of thing. I hate asking for 15 minutes because it just, yeah, that's played out. So let's, let's, uh, Backtrack just a second. So when you're going to reach out to a prospect, um, and I want to dig in because he's mentioned illuminating questions is something I definitely want to dig into. But right. to step back a little bit, and let's think about not necessarily like the sequence, but like what is right. the general approach when you want to get a hold of someone at a law firm? Right. What is the general approach of how do you figure out who you're going to target? And then what's, what's the outreach strategy? Just can you give me yeah. an idea of what's the mix of email and phone or social? Like what's the, what's the general approach? So for me, it's always multi-threading go from mm -hmm. top to bottom. So partner down to the office admin, cause you don't know okay. who's going to respond. So you should always, always, always multi-thread your account. Always. Um, and then a lot of this work is done from your ideal customer profile. So you're figuring out who you're selling to, what they care about at each seniority level you already have like value propositions that align with the common challenges that they face. So all that kind of pre-work's done. That should give you like about six to eight value props. And then you can take the same value prop and you just put a different lens on it. So for a partner, they're looking at top line revenue. So you need to not talk about the nitty gritty. You need to say, hey, there's an opportunity to increase your billable hours. For an office admin, it's, hey, there's an ability to go save time so you don't need to do these repetitive tasks. I'm talking about the same thing, mm -hmm. but I put a lens on it to be appropriate to the person I'm talking. To. And then for me, it's a mix of phone calls, videos, email, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, if they're active on it. And like even direct mail too. When people are in the offices, I used to send handwritten letters, all that other crazy stuff. So I just do every channel possible. Mm -hmm. How do you know what your personas? Cause you sound very in tune with your personas and like what these people care about. How did you find out what they cared about? Um, so if you can interview your customers, that's the easiest. Mm -hmm. If not, then I just looked at challenges that partners are facing at law firms. Like you just do a Google search. Like you literally just make a document. It's like, what are the top challenges law firms are facing 2020 for it or whatever it is, you know, narrow it down a little bit, read 15 of those freaking websites and you're going to see commonalities. Okay. These are the common challenges that they're going to be facing. And then you just, rack and stack against your value propositions on how you can help solve all that. And there's your outreach. And then as you talk to your prospects and learn more from them, you can start fine tuning that messaging, but you're pretty relevant and personalized at that point, because I just can't imagine 20, 30 articles being wrong. Like all of them being wrong just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So you're doing this research and you're essentially able to find these sort of macro uh, trends to know like, Hey, what's going on for a law firm right now? Like the partner to law firm, what the hell do they care about? Why is that important to them? That's going to be pretty easy to find. I agree with you doing some Google research 
And then the other part of this is it sounds like you're doing is paying really close attention to every time I talk to a partner and I get a chance to do a sales conversation with them, like I'm taking notes, especially if they're telling me something that they're concerned about something that's a challenge for them, that's keeping them from getting more billable hours. Like I'm paying really close attention and then I can tweak my copy and my talk tracks and stuff and make them better and better and better over time. Next, you always want to use your customer's language. So if you don't, if you don't have access to it, it's too challenging. Do the Google research. It's going to be a little quote unquote generic, but it's a lot better than most of the outreach I see. And then as you start having these conversations, they're going to use particular words and phrases and talk about their challenges. Start refining your copy. So like maybe you started with billable hours and now they're thinking of, okay, how to do billable hours like remotely or whatever. I don't know, whatever they're going to throw at you. So you already knew the big issue was billable hours, but they've just narrowed it down a little bit for you and gave you some key words. Pop that into your outreach. And then you keep having more conversations and you kind of just build this content library. So then it's like in the back of my head, I already know here's the main value prompts. Here's now like their exact language. And now you are super personalized. And then if you want to go a little further, you maybe go down to the particular industries that they're serving. If there's unique challenges there, if not, then I think you're just spinning your wheels because there's no additional value that you can add. So I don't see the relevance to them. Yeah, dude, I love this. Yeah. One thing that when I'm doing sales calls, especially is when someone tells me something and I can hear the frustration in their voice, like a light bulb goes off in my head and I'm frantically, like I'm literally writing down if I'm not recording the call, which I don't usually record the sales calls. Um, Like I'm literally writing down word for word what they're saying. And it's, it feels like you're cheating almost with your copy because you just get copy and paste stuff almost. It's that you could just plug right into an email or that you can say, Hey, Chris, like, you know, I was talking to another, you know, a partner at a law firm yesterday and he was telling me this, blah, 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 right. blah, blah. Is that something you're running across right now? They'd be like, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But like, see, that's the goal. Like, I think sales reps need to stop thinking they need to recreate the wheel. Your customers have a language and a currency. You as a sales rep need to dive into that currency and amass as much currency as possible. So you need to dig into those pain points. You need to understand those challenges. You need to understand their fears and anxieties of getting to that future state. And then you just take all that and you flip it into some questions. Yeah. Like it's, it's not hard. Like when they, like, like for example, sales reps talking to you, struggling to book meetings, you know, it's like, man, hitting quote is so hard because I don't know how to write effective email subject line, struggling, struggling to write effective email question yeah. mark. Like, as a sales rep, we're going to open that. That's a challenge that sales reps always face. And yeah. all you do is just listen. They made a statement. You took the statement. You flipped it into a powerful emotional question. That's genius. Why, why would you try to mess with that process? I don't get that. Yeah. Let's talk about the storytelling just to kind of tag onto what you just said. Cause you said that the emotion, you know, aspect of this is important. Um, so let's just look at like, does, does your messaging structure, is it typically very similar between like what you say in an email? Is it very similar to how it might sound if you talk about it over the phone when you're cold calling someone or what a video might sound like? Does it kind of follow a very, a sim- I, I, you know, there's obviously nuances between email right. and phone and right, right, right. You know, video and social, but does the, is the framework for the story essentially the same? Are you telling pretty much the same story each time that you're reaching out regardless of the medium or so I'll, like phones, I'm just very direct because you're interrupting their day. 
So yeah. like phones, I'm not like going super long on storytelling. It's like, I need to do a pattern interruption. So instead of saying, Hey, this is Chris with so-and-so company. How are you? Cause you automatically know that's a sales call. Like use a pattern interrupt and be like, Hey, it's Chris. You don't know me. And I know I'm calling you out of the blue, but can I steal two minutes of your time to explain the reason for my call? And yeah. like, just throw them off key and then get into your elevator pitch super fast, which is a very quick story. It's like, working with XYZ companies that were struggling to achieve A, B, and C. Does that sound like your day-to-day right now? Or am I just rambling here? Like, yeah, like there's my day. Awesome. Like what, you know, what's the number one thing from that that you're focused on? A, B, and C. Cool. So we're able to support this company, you know, with this said problem to get them here. Now I realize I'm calling you out of the blue and you got other things to do. Would you be interested in chatting further and seeing if there's a potential partnership here? Yeah. And boom, book, get off the phone. Like, you know, get off the phone. So phones are faster. Email for me is more storytelling and relationship building. So like, I don't like, I booked the majority of my meetings via phone. Email to me is kind of a little more like marketing. So I'm storytelling. It's a softer call to action. Sometimes people respond, I book off of that. But mainly it's like when I get them on the phone, I've literally had people be like, yeah, I keep, I keep seeing your emails. I'm like, good. And then yeah. you get to it. So email to me is a little more storytelling. Phone's a little more fast punchy to the point um, email and video follow the same format to me. Um, it's essentially the same thing. I think your, your phone is going to be unique there. Um, and then your social media stuff is definitely going to be a lot more soft. I think that's where you can take like the customer stories and essentially talk about the challenges, and talk about your product kind of thing to show your expertise in that industry. And then you can have, again, some softer call to actions. Like, I don't see hardcore call to actions on social media converting well. Like, oh, like DM me and we'll still find a time to talk. Like that doesn't convert. But it's like you write a good article, you write a good, you know, piece. Someone like pings you like, oh, that was really awesome. And it's like, cool. What'd you enjoy about it? And you just start having like a more casual conversation then eventually converting yeah. that to like a sales conversation. I also like to call people that respond to stuff. If they're in my ICP, I'll just pick up the phone, call them yeah. and be like, Oh, Jason. Yeah. What's up, man? You know, because they liked or commented on your article or your video or whatever. Yeah. Um, that often works well. It's a little extra work, you know, and you're kind of, you know, hunting people down a little bit, but um, okay. One quick thing. Cause I know people are going to want to know, and I'm yeah. curious one other sort of tactical thing. Uh, I love how you open the cold call. I love that you get like straight to the point and to the challenge. That's super cool. Cause they're either going to relate or not. And then you don't waste yeah. any time that way. Um, you mentioned with your emails that you like to use these softer call to actions. Is that on purpose where you don't try to close really hard in the email for the meeting? Is it more a gauge of interest in the email to you? I think so. I mean, you can, I think you can mix it up with some soft and hard call to actions, Mm -hmm. but if you're asking for a meeting in every single email, eight to 12 emails, like I feel like you kind of burn the person out, right? I mean, put yourself (laughs) in their shoes. It's like, like emailing me, and you're like, hey, Chris, you want to chat? You know, that's email one. Like, hey, Chris, how can I earn 15 minutes? That's email two. Hey, Chris, does Tuesday or Thursday at 5 p.m. work for you? And I'm just like, dude, like, <laughs> obviously, I'm not responding for a reason. So if you keep berating me with these, like, meeting asks every single time. Like, again, that's what every rep does. The goal is to be a red X and a sea of white Xs. So I say, would you be open to learning more? Let me know how I can best support you. Like you got to kind of switch it up a little bit. And sometimes you can just say, Hey, does it make sense to connect? Or when does it make sense to connect? Right. Because you want to like the prospect wants to feel like they're in control. So 
they want to like the ultimate goal of a salesperson is to plant the seed in the prospect and have the prospecting is their own idea to engage in a sales conversation. That's like absolute freaking sales mastery in my mind. But you don't get that by berating someone over the head, asking for 20 minutes of their time, every single email. No, agreed hundred percent, man. I uh, love the approach. I want to make sure that we have some time here. We'll kind of shift to a, a related topic, but I think this, this thing that you're doing with your content series that we talked about, I think it's super interesting because that's one thing I've just been preaching since all of this stuff went down is, hey, talk to your existing customers or your prospects and figure out, do what are they what are they focused on right now? Like how have their priorities shifted and how can you help them together come up with an insight that you can then use to lead prospecting conversations with so that it doesn't become hop on a call with me so I can sell you and pitch my stuff it, Hey, you're going to learn something too. Like there's something to gain from this. You're going to learn about what your peers are doing, but you shared this really awesome thing that you're doing uh, with your content series and interviewing lawyers. Can you explain a little bit more about that and like why, why you're doing that and how it's helping you with your prospecting? Yeah. So it's like, it's a brand new series. Like I literally just kicked off and doing my first interview like later today. So this oh, is cool. like, I am 100% in full test mode. So I don't have a, a fun story to conclude it with, but the goal is I'm interviewing prospects at companies that I'd like to engage in a sales conversation. And instead of selling them, I want to do interviews on the challenges that, that they're facing from a technology and management perspective and way of doing business since COVID started. So because I work for a technology company and we sell managed IT solutions and all this software plus, you know, printers and copiers, I really just want to understand, like, since COVID happened, what kind of technology are you utilizing? Like, how have you had to change the way you're doing business? And the goal is just to create a series, which will then help show my expertise. Because if I'm doing all these people and I'm posting all of this content and articles on LinkedIn, other law firms are looking at my stuff where I can send them links to the articles. I'm like, wow, he really knows our industry. He's taking time to talk to all these people. These are the challenges that I'm facing as well. And he's also kicking out some possible solutions I didn't think of. It might make sense to have a conversation with them. So I don't know if it's going to always lead to a sales conversation, but I really think it's going to drive some great inbound. Oh, hell yeah, it is, dude. It, it, it definitely will. I, I mean, who... Who in your industry do you know doing that? Nobody. I no literally one. came up with this like yeah. three weeks ago when I was talking with a friend of mine. Yeah. Dude, this is a brilliant story. I mean, this is, you're essentially, this is the reason why we have a podcast. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, yeah. it's the same thing. So when you're doing these interviews, is the logistics, like, are you just having them hop on a Zoom call and then record it? Are you turning it into a pod? Like, what's the logistics tech-wise for you? So for me, like, because it's who I'm interviewing. Like, I don't think necessarily my audience is as big on podcasts. So I'm flipping it more into articles for them. So like, yeah. I don't think like with lawyers and things like that, I want to be, you know, mindful of privacy concerns. They probably want some more control over it. So that's why I'm doing an article. Empathy, that they can, yeah. Empathy again, right at the foundation yeah, of your approach. Love it. Yeah. Because it's just like, I got to be mindful of my potential prospects and they probably want to make sure everything sounds good and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So flipping out podcasts, doesn't, doesn't make sense, but flipping out a written series does because then I can make sure they approve the article, post it on LinkedIn and Medium, and then create shorter kind of posts and basically content syndicate the, the information. So one interview can flip out to an article and five posts on LinkedIn, all targeted towards lawyers. And so one piece, one interview now becomes a week-long 
piece of content. And I can also take that information and the law firms that I'm not interviewing, I can then prospect them normally. So I'm doing an 80-20 split, 20% doing this interview, 80% traditional prospecting while using the exact keywords that I'm getting from this information. Yeah. That's the part I'm most excited for you about is that by doing these interviews, again, it's, it's, it's like the easiest form of marketing research you can possibly do because it also benefits the prospect. Like they get something from it too. Um, So, and this doesn't require you to do much, I would assume with your marketing department either. This is something you can just coordinate, do yourself. It sounds like really relatively low time commitment for you and the prospect too. You probably spend what, 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. 30 minute interview. You transcribe that or have someone on Fiverr transcribe it for you. And then you can kind of piecemeal it together. And then the, the mileage, that's what I always think about with content is like, what's the mileage I'm getting out of those individual posts? Cause you create a ton of content, you know, how hard, like you work your ass off. I could tell like creating good stuff and then yeah. to get mileage out of that. I'm super excited dude, for you to hear how, yeah. how this ends up working. I know it's going to crush and get you appointments though. That's, that's definitely oh. going to happen. Yeah. Cause like, I think to your point, you take that one interview, you, and then like, if you do video, you now have the video. So you put that on YouTube, you have the podcast. So syndicate that off of anchor. You now have a couple articles. So that's LinkedIn and medium and you pull it down to a couple posts on LinkedIn and then you put it down even further to skip it. So you can push through on Twitter, Instagram or whatever. So you, like, Literally, the content syndication strategy in my head for this is absolutely phenomenal. So it's like I get like two or three weeks worth of content from every freaking interview that I do. And then you take all that, work with marketing, throw AdWords, I do paid advertisement on that. And then for the 80% of your target audience that you're not doing this interview with, those are the exact words. So it's like you, this is a long-term strategy, right? So it's like you get the long-term 20%, you get the 80% short-term that you need to hit your numbers and make your meetings. But eventually you can convert fully over because all that is giving you enough inbounds and referrals that you don't need to go like go crazy on the prospecting side. You're just doing all these interviews. You're getting inbounds, you're getting referrals now. And it's a lot easier because people are warming up to you. Well, and what's the reply rate on an email you send to someone asking to interview them versus asking for a meeting? <laughs> like, I think like I sent out like 40 email, 40 messages on LinkedIn. And I got like, four responses off of one message on LinkedIn messages. You know what I mean? It's like follow up with an email. Like it's so your response rate is astronomically higher. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's super cool, man. I love the strategy. And you had mentioned prior to us hitting record here that this is something you think is going to be the new way uh, between AEs and BDRs working together is the BDRs are more these snipers that you talked about and the AEs are able to kind of do what you're talking about where it's, I'm going to work with the BDR to get help with this, but really I'm going to think about content too, because one thing I cannot stress enough is if you're a rep relying on your marketing department for content and you're not really repurposing that content, marketers, nothing against them. I was a marketer at one point, but they're not having the one-to-one conversations that you as a salesperson are having. So your prospects, dude, they don't want to freaking read a 30 page white paper. No yeah. one wants to do that. It's not, it's not fun to consume things. Even lawyers, I would assume, you would know better than I don't want to read a 30-page white paper. They're like, I got enough shit I'm reading every day. Right. Time is money. So I think yeah. the way I look at it is like, I think we'll move to a full cycle AE role for like mid-market to enterprise. And then I think your SDRs will focus, I'll call it strategic. So those are your whale accounts because they just need to like dive deep into the 10Ks and like 
they got to get so deep into that account. Maybe they have a hundred of those accounts and they're just trying to pull down one to two meetings, one to like four meetings a month max with those accounts. Cause they're just so big. And then the whole time though, your AEs are just these content generation machines doing all these interviews, podcasts, whatever, shipping that over to marketing. Marketing will help them create their content. And you now have your brand ambassadors that are now subject matter experts in their respective fields generating more inbounds for your company, by the way, because the AEs need to post this content because we want to engage with a person, not a brand. And then that's going to drive people to your website. And then you have a good marketing funnel there. And you're again, using all their language, your SDRs are getting into those whale accounts for you. And that's all they're focused on. They're fanatical about it. And you're just driving massive inbound. And that's like your CAC's going to go down. Like your costs are going to go down and you're going to be so relevant. And if you segment your AEs to focus on particular verticals and get them really specialized, like niche down on it, manufacturing, financial, whatever, like as you do your geographies, you know, businesses are already grouped together. Similar businesses usually work in the same territories. Have your AEs become subject matter experts in two or three of those industries, create a massive repository for everybody. And that way anyone can tap in if they need to hop over to another industry, all the work's already done. Your marketing is already taking that and pushing that out so you can focus on your verticals or get, you know, geographical with your ad spend and your targeting. Like, dude, like, I'm not a marketer, but I just made, I think, a kick-ass marketing sales strategy right there for you. Like, we should be yeah. doing that. Yeah. No, 100%, dude. The other thing, because you you mentioned subject matter expert. I think there's a lot of misconception on what that means. I think a lot of people think, well, if I'm going to sell to lawyers, I got to be an expert on, like, what they should do. And I got to know this stuff and I got to say, you need to do this. And it's really not about that. It's, it's about what you're doing. It's let me interview the experts and let me be the Tim Ferriss, so to speak, yeah. of the approach and know the 80-20 of everything and being able to get this information to them and shortcut the process for them, right? 100%. Um, there's one thing you mentioned earlier that we have to go back to because it's a really great strategy. It's illuminating questions. So yeah. for someone that doesn't know what that is, like what's an illuminating question and like, and why are they really powerful? The illuminating questions to me are highlighting your expertise. It's showing them that you know their industry and the challenges that you can specifically solve. So for example, my industry, when I was asking people about going back to work and thinking about their print environment. It's like, how are you thinking about your print environment when you go back to be COVID compliant? Do you really want everyone touching the same printer? Like, are you going to wipe it down every time? Like, again, that's an illuminating question. Like, crap, I never thought about that. We're just going to buy everyone desktop printers. Okay, but we know that's the most expensive way to go. So how are you thinking about not creating runaway costs with all this toner? And it's like, wow, I never thought about that. So you literally just like kind of light bulb, mind blown moment for them. And like you share like a way to go stop this potential runaway cost, which is what I've been calling it, before it even hits them. It's like, as you're going back, you're not helping them strategically plan for things that are going to affect their business a lot. And so for me, illuminating questions are uncovering things that they may not be thinking about, framing it in a way of being educational. And then at that point, you're the educator. You're now, again, you're the guide. You're walking them through something on, hey, this is a potential problem you might not be aware of. Here's why it's important to you. Here's the ramifications of not, of inaction. I think that's more powerful. What you're going to lose if you don't do something, because loss aversion is more powerful than gaining, right? That's psychology. So I focus on, here's what you're going to lose. You're going to lose money, not save money. You're going to lose money 
if you don't think about this the right way. That will motivate more people to engage with you. Yeah, I love these questions because it's it's either asking a question that they haven't been thinking about or it's the questions that everyone only in their industry are talking right. about. Yeah, that's exactly. the you're struggling to get responses to your cold emails question for salespeople is like, well, yeah, everyone wants to get better responses through their cold emails. Um, Any tips for, you know, if someone's never asked these types of questions or really thought, how does someone get started with asking these? Because it's kind of daunting to think about, oh, this person has 20 years of experience in their industry. I have two, you know, working in their industry. How, how the heck am I going to ask them a question that gets them to think, (laughs) you know, what's the way that someone can get started with, with one of these types of questions and really thinking about how to do this? I would say, first off, don't assume you got to know the whole industry. You're specializing, specialize in your particular piece. Like I'm a subject matter expert in the print industry. I'm not a subject matter expert in lawyers. That's the wrong mindset. Get really niched into what you specialize in. And so when you come in, your questions are extremely targeted and they just need to be targeted and relevant to their particular industry. So again, that's where you do the Google search and see the challenges or you sit down on the, the quarterly business reviews with your customer success team to hear how they're utilizing the platform and what they're thinking through and things like that. And the goal is to just figure out your subject matter expert in just the box of where your industry is and like what your product fits and solves for. You'll eventually gain and learn more, but start small and start very narrow and then start going wider as you learn more. But start narrow at first. Don't kill yourself. It's like you're trying to learn. It's like you're boiling the ocean. You're just, yeah. you're going to fail. So it's like a Venn diagram essentially of like the industry that you're working in and then the the problems that you solve and looking for 100%. the areas where those intersect. Cool, man. 100%. Love it, dude. There was tons of value bombs. I can't wait to put together like the deck for this one and oh, to re-listen yeah. to it. And uh, I learned a lot from you, man. I always like talking to reps because I learn a lot from them and, yeah, and I love everything you're doing. Man, thank but, you. Uh, yeah, absolutely, dude. Uh, before you take off, where, where should people go to connect with you? And I, I will definitely link to your LinkedIn profile for sure. Cause people got to check yeah. out your content and if nothing else, just get the approach down, you know, and right. how you do everything. But what do you want people to check out, man? Yeah. I'd say like LinkedIn's always number one. So LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter, those are my three, you know, main accounts. I'll, I'll send you the, the info and all that one. But yeah, I mean, I'm always just happy to connect with people. Like just send me a note and like, tell me like you listen to this podcast. I get a bunch of random requests and I'm like, I don't know. I reject them if I just don't think there's a fit there. So if you actually give me a note, I read every single freaking, you know, uh, request note that I get. So just do that and I'll have a higher likelihood of accepting you and chatting and hopefully we can learn and engage with each other. There you go. Another interview in the books. Love this interview with Chris. The big takeaway for me and a good reminder is this content library. So create a file. It could be a Google doc file. It could be a Microsoft word document. It could be a text file, whatever it is. It could be a note on your phone. Write down exactly what you hear your prospects saying when they talk about their pain points, especially and the goals and their aspirations and what they're trying to accomplish. Take that wording down and start refining the copy and the words that you're using in your talk tracks or your emails, and you should get something that just gets better and better and better over time. So that's my biggest takeaway and biggest reminder from this. Build out that content library. Before you take off, got a quick favor. I would love to get more guests on like Chris. And one thing that helps with that is getting reviews on the podcast. So if you enjoyed this, if you could please leave an honest review on iTunes, 
which you can find Blissful Prospecting on iTunes. And if you're listening to on the podcast app, just leave a quick review of what you thought, what you liked, and that would really help me out to make sure to continue growing this podcast so we can get on great guests. And that is all for today. I'll talk to you soon.